If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here with my co-host, Marie Mayhew. What's Marie? What is up, my roundtable people? Roundtable people, uh, how is it going, Marie? You know what? I feel like I feel like it's been a little while. It's good to be back at the roundtable with 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 it, all my people out there in the science it, world. It does feel like it's been a while, right? Like I don't know why the last one we did wasn't that long ago, was it? I don't know, man. It's just maybe it's just like <laughs> I feel like we're always planning on doing something, and then we do stuff, and then as soon as we're done, like we have to do more. You know, it's like I know. Ah! I know this shit. Listen, I mean, it's an amazing thing. The show is a labor of love, yes. and I love it very much. Yes, but it definitely like things are a whirlwind yes. right now. Things are just getting up, going, going. There's cogs and not me cogs, but cogs like spinny Turning cogs. cogs. Oh boy, this is getting bad. All right, this episode we have a couple of really cool things. We had two phenomenal listener questions this week. We have some really cool stuff on the weather mm-hmm. and specifically on hurricanes and climate change. And then we also have something on weather control and how that relates to Dyatlov Pass, which is a topic that I know, Marie, it's one of your favorites. It is one of my favorites. It's probably one of the creepiest things that have, that I've read about that's has very little actual documented facts behind it. Yeah, it's pretty it's a pretty intense case, and it's definitely one that we're going to do in a lot more detail on the full show. Yes. But this is one aspect of it that gets some attention but i think it fits in really well with this we could do a whole series of shows on diablo we could do a whole season you know and, and never even scratch nope. the surface of the possible we things. could so, learn russian and we still we, wouldn't even get hey, the surface i i took four years of russian in high school and i was not very good oh jesus seriously you took okay. four years of Gos- russian gospogina levina was very upset with me because I didn't learn any. So she made us learn these songs that we would sing in front of the classroom, Jesus. right? And it was supposed to be for like extra credit, but it ended up being these kind of like I should ask Kristaps if they did these in gulags or something because it ended up being some kind of really weird like mind game shit. Like she'd bring you up in front of the class and you'd have to sing, and she would like give you a grade on how well you remembered the song mm. and sang it. And so some kids would just get like some kids were like, "Oh, my time to shine." Some kids, like, learned the, the song backwards. There was one that was, like, there was a rap section. Oh, my God. And, like, some kids learned the full rap and run. It was terrible, Marie. And I never learned any of them, and I always got Fs on those. I, I don't even know how I graduated high school. I didn't learn a fucking lick of Russian. I love the fact that your Russian teacher is just eyeing you, and he's like, her, Mr. Her. Chris, perhaps her. it is her. Perhaps it is your turn now. Yes, you have you have thought this through. You have memorized, and you're like, well, she, yes. She would make us go up in groups, and she would put like the worst kids together. Oh, of course. And so yeah, Sadist. so like we so we go up, and for the full like two and a half minutes, Sadist. you know, we would just be like, 
I don't know. We don't know what this works. Like, what do you want from us, man? We didn't learn them. We didn't learn the song. You're faking it. All right. And I say sadists not because they're Russian, but because they're high school teachers. Absolutely. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome to the Mad Scientist Roundtable, episode 13, Diatlov and Weather Control. So this week we had two really great listener questions that I, I I'm blown away by how good these questions are. It kind of makes me feel like, you know, our our, our listeners are just number one. Our They're listeners, just the quality. Yes, and they think they're thinking so much more than tell, I am. I'm telling you, the listener quality we have in the show is phenomenal. You guys okay. are good. So we had the first one comes from. Our good friend Tess Pfeiffer. <gasps> Little Tessie Pfeiffer. From the Astonishing Legends podcast. She's kind of the she's kind of the brains yeah. behind the planning, I would say. She's the, let's let's uh, you know you know, not speaking ill of their of the hosts of that show. She's the brains behind <laughs> that entire thing. Right? We're just gonna say we're just gonna say Tess is like Tess is like the hidden glue that pulls it all together, she's, really. She's the so, maven of it. And I got a chance maven, to meet yeah, her. Absolutely. So I got a chance to meet Tess Feifel in person. First of all, she's a real person. She's lovely. I wanna set her up with a nice a nice guy out there with a good job, interests. <laughs> so if you're out there and Tess is hearing this and she's like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm playing matchmaker. If you look like Adam Scott or perhaps even our Adam Scott, that would that wouldn't hurt either. But I'm just saying she's a lovely person, and it was so fabulous to meet her. And she's very just so smart. Yeah, Tess is awesome. All right, so her question was, why when someone is sleep defrauded? cool like we are now her question was, <laughs> why when someone is sleep deprived do they have hallucinations? And specifically, mm. she asked about auditory hallucinations, mm-hmm. although in my research, it's come out that actually visual hallucinations are by far the most common type of hallucination you get when you're sleep deprived. Interesting. So so here's the interesting, a really interesting thing. So I found a really cool, a really cool um, piece from the Stanford Neurosciences Institute, and I'm going to put this up on the website, and it's by Whitney uh, Hevener. And so... What she claimed was that basically, and we also actually posted a, we posted this to the Astonishing Legends Facebook group, but I'll post it to ours as well, and I'll post it on um, on the website as well. But basically, there's this optical illusion called the hollow face illusion, and I'm sure you've seen it. What it is basically is you have a mask, and the mask is rotating in 3D space. And so when the mask is looking towards you, and when the mask is looking away from you, in both cases, your brain will make it look like the face is looking towards you. Yes. So in other words, it's it's looking towards you. It'll rotate, it'll rotate, it'll rotate. Now it's looking like to the, let's say to the right all mm-hmm. the way. It'll keep rotating till it's looking away from you. But as it passes that point, your brain will make it appear like it's looking towards you again. So this is the same, this is an effect that they use in Disney's Haunted Mansion. When you're walking yes. in, when you're walking in, and you walk past the the bus of the stern-looking uh, mother and father, right? They're looking, and they follow you in. That's the effect. That's uh, how they achieve it. Yeah. So it's called it's called the hollow mask illusion, also known 
as the uh, BD2 illusion. And so the basic idea is that your brain... So this is BD2 stands for Binocular Depth Inversion Illusion Test. Now... Not very spooky. What? Not a very spooky name, not frankly. Like but it's hollow fine. Mask Illusion! Actually, I, guess it's, I guess it's not BD2. It's BDII, I suppose. Mm. But anyways, whatever. It's Even fine. Less. Roman numerals are cooler than two eyes. Even less so, scary. The idea is that... Your so when your when your brain is looking at something, there's two ways to think about vision. There's top down and bottom up. In a bottom up visual perception, your eye is taking in photons from the surrounding environment. So when you see something, light is hitting a surface and light is just photons. The photons will bounce off that surface. The photons that aren't absorbed by the surface, I should say, mm-hmm. will bounce off that surface and they will come into your retina in your eye. And then your brain will take that information and put it together in the brain to give you a visual perception. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into like, okay, you get a photon and then your brain does some stuff. Like, I understand that's kind of wonky, but, you know, whatever, it's fine. In a bottom-up approach, it's the visual stimuli from outside that's telling your brain what you're seeing. Now... What happens, though, is that because your brain is always taking in information and there's too much. It's like a fire hose of information, right? So what your brain does is it will make assumptions and it'll make changes to that visual perception to get you to expect what you should see. And that's top down visual processing. So in other words, Hmm. when you're when you expect to see this face on this mask rotating when you get those cues your brain is your brain is actually processing it to say oh the face is looking at me now it fills in the gaps and that's sort of exactly it fills in the gaps of that missing information and so that is what a that's what a visual like an illusion a visual illusion would be right Mm -hmm. now that is very similar to a hallucination both one brought about from mental illness brought about from sleep deprivation and brought about by psychedelic drug use or something, right? Something. Something like that. Something. Something like that. Oh, so what what this researcher found was that when you're really, really tired, and actually this comes from a German article that she found, mm. but um, basically when you're really tired, your brain gets bad at that top-down perception fixing. So in other words, if they did a study where they looked at nurses who had been you know, awake all night for 24 hours, and they found that they actually weren't able to pass that BDII test, huh. that, that binocular depth inversion illusion test, and the more that you stayed awake, the worse you got, the worse you got at that test. Huh. So, the ant- so although we don't know for sure, now that is kind of a mechanical explanation. There are some other chemical explanations as well. So, for instance, the thing that actually puts you to sleep, um, they think, is a chemical known as adenosine. And so adenosine is um, – what they've actually done is they can, like, inject that into animals and then it'll make them fall asleep immediately. The amount of adenosine that you need is – kind of varies from person to person. But as you lose adenosine, basically, your brain um, starts hallucinating. And that's actually – it's actually like known that that's kind of how some psychedelic drugs work and things. Oh. It stops adenosine receptors huh. from from firing. So, or it makes them or it makes them overfire rather. Really quick, is this the same 
Does this have ties to the same effect when you see something that looks like an eyes and nose uh, a mouth yes. that you yes. interpret it, it as the face? It's the same. It, it's the same sort of. Bo- it's the same reaction. Your your mind is your it, mind is filling in the blanks to make it. A hundred percent does. Yes, it's it's Boom. the exact same thing. That's that same. That's the same top-down visual perception filling in. Ladies and right? gentlemen, 13 episodes later, I finally get a little science right. Killing what? it. Killing it with a science, Marie. I just science it up. We're getting there. I science so, it up. Okay. <laughs> now, the interesting thing is that actually up to 80% of people will hallucinate if they are what's known as severely sleep-deprived. But severely sleep-deprived can mean a lot of things for a lot of different people. Because, again, it depends on how much of that chemical your brain needs to actually function. Right, and that'll that'll change from person to person. So some people are able to go, you know, a whole night without sleeping, and they'll be okay. But some people, if they don't get their full eight hours or even their full ten hours, you know, they'll they'll start to have these um, misperceptions and these misfirings huh. of their top-down perception. So basically, Tess, the reason why when you're sleep-deprived you hallucinate is because a as far as we can tell, at least to, to date, and actually we don't know a lot about hallucinations and brain states or brain functions, so... Shadow people. It's, yeah, it's well, it has to it's, do with all that stuff, right? Uh-huh. So actually, the idea of the brain misrepresenting uncommon or unusual visual information is going to become really important in our Betty and Barney Hill case part two. Because remember, they were driving all day Barney for months had not been sleeping right, and they were extremely tired as they're driving through these mountains that they're not really used to. So, you know, visual perception errors happen a lot. And so, anyways, if you are sleep-deprived and you have a hallucination, you, again, 80% of people will have that, but that's visual hallucinations. Actual Mm -hmm. auditory hallucinations are actually much more rare. Mm -hmm. And although you can have them, like I know... In high school, I used to think that the, the I used to think that the the noises of my bed, like my bed springs, would mm-hmm. make sounded a lot like my mom screaming Christopher <laughs> down the down the basement stairs where I slept because I was an edgy teenager. Dude, it's so dark. Um, Stephen King shit happened in there. Is man. it? That's not really that dark. It's kind of funny. <sighs> so Marie, shut up, Marie. No, it's totally normal. Don't 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 you tell me I'm like Stephen King. So. Uh, so, anyways, the so the difference I would say between like with with auditory th- auditory auditory mm-hmm. things, it's you. It's not a hallucination per se. It's more like you mistaking in or mistaking what you're hearing for mm-hmm. something else. So, which again is that pattern building, right? It's the same. Yeah. That's the same exact thing that happens like when, you know, they do those EVP sessions, and then it'll be like you know, and you hear like you know go kill cats or whatever and you're like oh the ghost right so so here's a question though it's um exploding head syndrome right the noise the sudden the sudden just when you're falling off to sleeps we know people that have this i think uh scott astonishing legend has it how is that it's an auditory effect and it's an it's an it's a true auditory hallucination right well, I think it's similar to like tinnitus. Like tinnitus. We don't know oh. how tinnitus happens. We have no idea, and that's like a consistent. That's hum. a consistent ringing mm-hmm. in the ears, right? There are physical, there are physical and psychological causes to that. So, hmm. again, we really don't, we don't really know a lot about how perception happens or how to mess with it. You know, so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe in like twenty years, when we're, 
you know, killing it on TV or whatever. We'll be we'll have an answer. <laughs> Maybe we'll bring Tess on. But you know, we don't know. We really have no idea. So. Anyways, Tess, that is the best that science has to offer right now for this answer. So, or even if it's not science, just if it's the best that we can do right now. <laughs> it's the best that we can do. So basically, as you become more and more sleep-deprived, the amount of adenosine in your brain um, builds up. Mm-hmm. You become more prone to hallucination because adenosine seems to have some effect on hallucinations. And on top of that, too, the mechanical view is that you actually stop being able to differentiate between optical illusions because your ability to do that top-down processing will will fall away as you become more and more sleep-deprived. So get enough sleep, people. Get nap. I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. Any chance oh. you get, nap. Napping. Napping. It's like it's, it's. I mean, I, I'm almost like I'm almost ready to start doing other stuff I did as a little kid. Uh huh. Okay. Oh, like I'm yeah. like maybe Barney the dinosaur was just like killing. You know, maybe that's the most fascinating show. <laughs> Because napping, I didn't like napping when I turned, like, whatever, seven. I was like, napping's for babies. Oh, I'm not napping anymore. And now, now I'm just 20... like, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm 27, and I'm like, napping is for fucking winners. <laughs> Napping's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Man, even on my commute in, if I can get, like, four minutes of actual napping, and I'm standing up, I'll do it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I miss my so, stuff. I'll... Whatever. Whatever. It's fine. I nap. Nap. Our second question comes from Jason Wissinger, and I hope I'm saying his last name mm-hmm. right. He had a really interesting question, and actually his I want to read in its entirety because I don't know if I'm going to do it justice if I just say what it is or how I came to understand it. So okay. basically what his question was, was is our ghosts, are ghosts thermodynamically possible? Which is why it's oh. so exciting for me. So his question goes, quote, Thermodynamics. The way I understand it, the most popular theory of ghosts is that our soul gets imprinted on the environment after death due to extreme emotional distress. But if our personality, thoughts, conscience, and memories are all simply a series of electrical impulses that are regulated by neurotransmitters and electrolytes contained within trillions of synapses, wouldn't the concept of ghost be easily dismissed by the fact that that seriously fragile environment that contains those thoughts is impossible to reproduce in an open environment? Therefore, wouldn't ghosts be much more likely a construct of our own minds as we try to make unusual events fit the paradigm that most suit our individual worldview? This is a... I mean, Tessa's question was good. This question is good. Two phenomenal questions this week. I'm telling you. Damn. It's like somebody was paying attention during your thermodynamics when you were quizzing me. I would would never have got there. (laughs) So... The Jason. So okay, I w- I want to break his question up into two parts. The first is this idea of ghost as electrical imprints. The second mm-hmm. is, um, wouldn't ghosts be a construct of our own minds? We try to make visual events fit the paradigm. Mm-hmm. That second one has a lot to do with our first one, our first mm-hmm. question, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your brain is always trying to fill in the gaps when it comes to something that it doesn't real, you know, it doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Your brain is always trying to make patterns to lower processing time. Right. Yes. To literally make it easier to just take in the information from the world around you. So I think there's a lot to be said for that explanation of, of some ghost stories, right? That it's just your brain trying to fill in the gaps to something that you don't, you know, you're, you're scared. Mm-hmm. You're very anxious. You see something you don't recognize or don't know normally in your everyday life. Mm-hmm. 
your brain tries to fit it to something that you will understand. Mm -hmm. And later on, to try to lower your anxiety, you rationalize it as being something like a ghost. I think that is a very likely explanation for a vast majority of ghost sightings and UFO sightings and all these kind of things. Yeah. That's, that being said, mm-hmm. I am definitely hopeful that I will find real evidence of ghosts or Bigfoots or UFOs or whatever. But I think that for the most part, that's a pretty good explanation for a lot of these things. I mean, now, just really quick, but your your mind, your brain, to be able to do that, to have that sort of super processing, is so amazing. I mean, that's almost as amazing as proof of ghosts. Is your you, what's going on in your skull right now is so powerful that it can do that on any given occasion yeah i mean phenomenal yeah what i think is really cool too is like what you were saying earlier about the haunted house or the haunted mansion at at disney world like some good stuff as we get as we get better at understanding the ways to like make people think they've seen a ghost and stuff Mm -hmm. our haunted houses and like horror movies are gonna get fucking awesome just using something as simple as Pepper's Ghost. Again, back to my Disney reference for the Haunted Mansion. In the big scene, in the in the um, you know, in the uh, the ballroom scene, the first time I saw that, I was like, "This is insanely cool!" Like this is like, yeah. and you see things, and it's it to me, it was just like, it's the simplest thing to reproduce. It's very low technology, and it's amazing. But yeah, as this stuff goes on, imagine like. Imagine the scary shit they're going to pull out of. Yeah, it's going to be really good. I'm excited. Oh, God. I don't know. I can barely stand it. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw that. That shit's scary, by the way. Dude, I... Okay, I've read... It's so scary. I've read the book probably five times now. You gotta go see it. Over my lifetime. You gotta go see it. And I know... The thing is that, like... I... Okay. I get really weird with movies. Mm -hmm. I don't like seeing movies in theater that often mm-hmm. because especially when it's like really popular like if i was gonna see it i'd see it like the last week that it was playing at like 3 a.m on a monday like I, I like the experience of being in the movie theater i don't like being around all those other people who are like like i remember when we went to go see uh spider-man one of the spider-men we went to go see it and like the whole the movie was fine and it was like good and whatever but and like it was funny what happened but the whole time they were just people making jokes and yelling stuff like when uncle ben died someone in the front row was like uncle ben no you know like that's funny but i want to watch the movie uh, i'm a big nerd they were quiet this time the people were, were like people were not they were like it was um it was some good stuff i gotta say it was good stuff i gotta say i'm excited anyways okay go see so it, people this go see it go see it go see people. it people so the the first part of his question is really fascinating. Now, I would argue that this idea of making ghosts fit into our worldview of science again, that is the same thing we've always done, and it never works, mm-hmm. right? Like, ghosts, I, I've said this before on the show, ghosts to me as a part of, con- like, we don't understand how consciousness fits with the brain, right? We can't even explain that stupid illusion of the mask flipping around that we just talked about, right? So our our linking of conscious thought to this material of the brain, that's pretty tenuous at this point. Like, we know if you get bonked on the head, you lose consciousness, so uh, maybe it's stored in this brain thingy. But, you know, we really don't know a huge amount of how the two are linked. So 
this idea that ghostly, you know, if a soul does exist, mm-hmm. it can be left behind by just being like, you know, oh, I got really emotionally upset at this area. Mm-hmm. And so now all my electrons, all the electrons in this area are more likely to form into a somehow a combination of things that makes my ghost. That seems like you're just trying to make magic fit a scientific thing. And that never yeah. works. And then that ghost has enough energy to actually uh, become, you know, it's got enough energy to actually become transparent, or not transparent, yeah. but apparent to someone. Well, so in many ways, what his question comes down to is, so it's kind of the, the thing, this idea of ghost as electrical imprints or imprints of thermodynamics mm-hmm. or states or something on the environment, there's two problems. Mm-hmm. And he gets at both of them really well. The first one is... If it is just an imprint left behind of the, whatever, the electricity, the energy state, whatever it is in the environment, that suggests that there's something making that state stick around in the environment this whole time, Mm. right? Or it makes that one state more likely than any other state. So in other words, if we think about the way that the way that energy moves naturally in the environment is determined by entropy. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that it it goes to the most probable version of events, right? Mm -hmm. So in other words, it energy gets maximum energy gets minimized. I want to rather is what I want to say. Energy gets minimized. So it's again, you can either go from a mixed to an, you can go from unmixed. So two things are separated to a mixed state. Well, there's more likely chances of it being mixed than unmixed, and so the most likely outcome will occur. That's what entropy says, that the most mm-hmm. likely outcome will occur over the over the majority of times that it can happen. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's all entropy really is. Dig it. So, that would suggest, then, that that state that caused the ghost to form is the most likely state. Mm. That doesn't make any sense, right? It's like it's inverse, right? Exactly. If if anything, the form, the state that caused the ghost to form would be the least likely. The least state. likely, yeah. The most, exactly. the most extreme, the most. Exactly, yeah. the most extreme state. So it, it doesn't make sense on that form. Mm-hmm. The other form that it doesn't make any sense on is this idea of the, if it is a least likely state, that means that energy has to be input into the system to make it happen again. Oh, right? it would have to be multiple times. It couldn't be self-sustaining. Right. Yeah. Well, exactly. Where is that energy now coming from? Right. If Mm -hmm. unless, again, we're saying that consciousness is part of some other unseen universe that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so the energy is coming from there or something. But again, or feeding off of fear. Right. Whatever the idea is that it's feeding off of it, it would need energy from somewhere. And that energy would have to be. It would have to come from somewhere and have to be taken away from somewhere. Right. Yeah. That's just the way energy works as far as we understand it right now. So. Again, like, and even talking about this in terms of thermodynamics is kind of silly because, like, we're just saying, like, energy. Like, energy, we, we would need some, it has to be heat, it has to be work, it has to be kinetic or potential or, Quantifiable. You know, re- exactly. Yeah. It has to be some energy related yeah. to the average motion of particles or the average potential motion of particles for it to fit within our scientific view as it currently stands. And since we can't really do that with this idea of ghosts, like... The other thing, too, is if that's the case, then all of the particles that were there when the ghost was formed would have to come back, 
right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, where mm-hmm. is if it's getting imprinted onto some particles, then wouldn't those particles have to come back to make that ghost happen again? Yeah. Right. That's completely unlikely. I mean, the the you know the particle of air that I'm shooting out of my mouth that can get to the other side of the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the the root mean square speed of those particles is huge. You know? Yeah. So. Anyway, so I think that's a it's a good a good summation of this question. So, the second part of this episode is on the effect of climate change on the weather, on extreme weather, mm. and also the possibility that we are controlling the weather from our secret scientist base somewhere deep below the surface. Which is true. Which is abs- 100% true, blowing the lid off of it right now. I am a lizard person. Give me your mm. eggs. So, mm. the thing... Knew it. Knew it. Damn it. Knew it. Knew Call it. Knew you couldn't trust me by my double blinking or whatever the hell they say. So... Their inner eyelids. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into the reptilians one of these days. I promise you, dear listeners. <laughs> so, the... So this idea, it kind of gets thrown around, this idea of what does climate change have to do with the weather, and it's become a bigger thing recently because of the devastating hurricanes that have occurred both in Texas and in Florida, in the Bahamas and Puerto Rico. You know, if if you're listening to this, we want to encourage you to donate to relief efforts in um, in those areas. Donate locally if you can, because yes. a lot of times with these larger organizations, the money, you know, by the time it gets to relief efforts, it's been spent on bonuses for executives so you know just keep your eye keep your head up keep your keep your eyes open when you're donating to these things yes now donate donate wisely but don't let it discourage you from from helping no and, absolutely not. and participating absolutely yes. not because people really do need the help so yes this argument has become kind of a big one in politics in the united states we're going to try to not get into that so let's just say we have one camp of fervent believers in climate change and on the other hand we have fervent deniers of climate change in many ways they're both wrong when it comes to what effect climate change will have on the weather hmm. and we're actually imagine going to, that imagine that and actually it's not binary it's not and we've actually gotten ah. some we've actually gotten some comments from listeners that a lot of the things that we've covered so far have been let's say leaning more towards what Marie and I might agree with. And we are going to get into some, some definite, I would say liberal conspiracy theories very shortly. (laughs) I have a whole slew of them waiting. People do not worry about it. So yeah, you just so, gotta stick it with us. You just gotta won't. stick with us. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna crap on both sides. It doesn't even matter. We you're straight. <laughs> we were. We hate everybody equally, my friend. So it's egalitarian. Egalitarian here. Mm-hmm. So this. So okay, on the side of people who deny climate change and that the climate change model should not have any effect on the weather, that is pretty silly. Weather is caused by changes in pressure. And since the atmosphere is composed of gases and vapors, and and in this presence here, I'm going to talk about vapors as a state between gaseous and liquid, or basically a liquid or a gas that is full of liquid droplets, something like a cloud Mm -hmm. or a humid gas stream. Now, condensation. Right. 
<laughs> all these good. Oh, we could throw in all kinds of cool words here, Marie. Now, here's the thing. Weather... That was on my uh, that was on my daughter's uh, vocab quiz last week. Right? Was it really vapor vapor and condensation? So we're up to like, I'm up to like a third grade math or third grade science. <laughs> Doing really well. Woo! Keep going. So, weather is caused by changes in pressure and temperature, like I said, and basically what you can think of as what you can think is that things move from more energetic to less energetic always right that's what that's how energy moves in the universe so when something has a high temperature that means it has high energy when something is high pressure that means it has high energy now things want to go from high energy to less energy and the way to do that is to give that energy away somehow right this is all thermodynamics again Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you have a pocket of very hot, very high-pressure area, volume of gas moving along as weather, what is going to have to eventually happen is that will discharge that pressure and temperature, usually the pressure, really, in some way, such as in either condensing a lot of rain, and mm-hmm. rain condensation will remove temperature, will remove energy from the system, or... It will cause a lot of wind, and the wind energy will then basically... Wind is just high-pressure gas moving to low-pressure areas. Um, Basically, what will occur is things like hurricanes and big tornadoes and and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, for hurricanes and for tornadoes, there have to be special things that occur. So for a hurricane, there has to be a vortex, basically a as-hot-air... Hot, anyone that's had a basement knows that hot air rises, right, in a house. The top mm-hmm. floors are always the hottest. Mm-hmm. So the hot energy, the hot wind, or the hot air from near the water surface and the hot water will evaporate, and that'll move up. At the same time, you have cold air swirling around the top, and that will then cause basically a vortex to form. And the reason that happens is, in some ways, and this is kind of very very simplified view of that but basically you can think that as a as one stream of energy meets with another stream of energy tangentially you get a rotation you get movement in in both directions at once so for Mm -hmm. instance if something's moving in the x direction and then in the z direction so basically going left to right and then up and down when it hits what will happen is you'll start to see movement um, up and then is swirling, right? Or down and swirling yeah, or whatever. Like a funnel. Exactly. So. Mm-hmm. So. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. What this basically means is you end up with an area of low pressure in the center of the vortex of the hurricane... And then higher pressure as you move outwards, and so all of this. And again, when I say high, when I say high pressure or low pressure, think of it as like a. Um, 
Think of it like you have a bathtub and it's full of water, right? Mm-hmm. Ooh, science experiments at home. Okay. Yeah, you can do a, you can do a science experiment at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Water is just a fluid, and so is air. Air and water are both fluids, and so they will move pretty much the same way. Mm-hmm. So what you can imagine is you have this whole bathtub, and that's full of water. And pressure is low at the top of the water, and it's really high at the bottom of the water. And the reason that it's high at the bottom of the water is because you have a lot of force from all of the weight of the water above it. Yes. That makes sense? Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Okay. Now, what happens if you pull the plug and the drain starts to open in your bathtub? What happens to the water? It goes down in a funnel. It goes down in the drain. Mm-hmm. Now, why is it going down in the drain? That's because out. if you imagine you have this thing of water, then you have a plug. On the top of the plug, closest to the water, the pressure is really high, right? Yes. What but about underneath? A, there's no pressure at all. Underneath, there's no pressure. It's low pressure, right? Mm-hmm. So you remove the plug, and all that high pressure fluid will move into the low pressure zone. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yes. Okay. Yes. So with the hurricane now, you have a low pressure center, high pressure on the outside, and it's all swirling to try to get to that low pressure zone. <laughs> I'm here. I'm with you. I'm okay. With you. So what does this all mean, basically? Right? Because I'm not a meteorologist. It's complicated. The weather is really fascinating, but it's very, very complicated systems. Very hard to predict mathematically, which is why weather predictions are so terrible. And partly why we're going to get to in the sec- in a second why the other view of climate change is also kind of wrong. But basically, what this means is if you have hotter temperatures or hotter water on average, you have Mm -hmm. more energy to pull from for these storms. Okay. So, in the bathtub scenario, it's like having more and more water above your plug, right? Uh, Okay. If you have double the pressure of water above your plug and you remove it, it is going to, it may not, it may not seem to be more intense, but it'll certainly take longer for it all to drain. Right? Yes. So these these analogies are kind of kind of flawed. As you can imagine, any bathtub to giant weather pattern analogy will be. But oh, the basic man. idea is that as climate change gets worse, the amount of energy that's present for storms to occur, storms mm-hmm. to feed off of, the size of these storms, the length of these storms... All of these things will, on average, get worse. Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay. So, on the other side, we have people that claim that climate change will cause constant hurricanes or an ice age or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. the idea, actually, this was, in, this was on Skeptoid on Facebook today, um, which I thought was kind of apropos, very cool. Oh. Um, Scientists in the 70s, n- no one has ever said that an ice age will occur due to climate change. No one, no one, uh, no scientist ever said that. Okay. Mm. That's like a really, it's a really annoying thing because every time I get together with people that don't believe in climate change, they're like, oh, when's the ice age coming? And it's like, well, you know that hurricane that like just destroyed your beachfront property in Florida? Yeah, well, that, that's climate change, dingus. So. The do you call them dingus? I don't. I can't. Oh. I'm not allowed to. But basically, so so what is that? That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. So the problem now is that we have, and and then the problem feeds off of each other, right? So mm-hmm. 
You have on the one side people that don't believe in climate change. People that are trying to convince them will say, well, look at all these effects that are definitely going to happen in a system that we can't possibly predict, right? Mm -hmm. And so then when those things don't happen or the things are not as severe as we said or our science gets better and we have to start changing our predictions, the people that don't believe in climate change can then point to those errors and say, look, you lied to us. You don't know what you're talking about, right? Right. This yes. is part of the reason people always ask me, why do I not like Al Gore with the climate change debate? And the reason is that the subtlety is lost here, right? It's science. We're getting yeah. closer to the truth, but we don't know everything. We cannot predict with certainty, you know, it, at the rate that our understanding of climate change is going every five years, let's say, mm-hmm. the predictions of the predictions five years from now might be completely different than the predictions of today. So we have to be conservative in our estimations of the effects of climate change while at the same time making it absolutely clear that the things that has never changed, such as the fact that increasing CO2 will lead to increases in temperature and increases in temperature will more likely lead to more severe weather patterns. Those ideas have never changed um, since the inception Mm -hmm. of climate change as an idea. Mm -hmm. Those things should be you know, mitigated. put forward, talked about, yeah. while these extreme views should, yeah. yeah, be mitigated, should be lessened. So, so here's a question for you. I'm just going to throw it out there. Sharknado. <laughs> Sharknado, Marie, go! Sharknado. So, completely unfeasible? I figured since we were covering all of the weather topics, and we're getting a little heavy, you know, got getting a little heavy with natural disasters. What about something as mythic and epic as say Sharknado. Well, one of could the... weather could weather actually pick up? Say I don't know a uh, I don't what, what's a group of sharks called? A pod? Um, probably like a pack or a pod or something. A pack, I would imagine. A pod, a squad, if you will, a squad of of sharks and fling them at people. Well, have you, Marie, ever heard? Of it Genius raining, of it film. raining fish. Yes, and frogs. And frogs. Yes. Okay. Yes. That is a version of this whole idea. Right now, we have mm-hmm. really, really, pretty recent even cases of it literally raining frogs or raining fish onto villages. So, mm. um, it happened in Ethiopia in 2016. It happened huh. in um. Andhra Pradesh in 2016. It happened in India in 2015. Uh, India again 2015. It happens in India quite a bit, it seems like. Actually, here in the last couple of years, we have three cases of it raining fish in India in the last three years. Um, So watch out in India. But what's, what's occurring here basically is the... I mean, you can imagine like a cyclone forms over the water. Again, it's mm-hmm. pulling up water with it on the outside mm-hmm. as it's pulling up water there's a school of fish it sucks some of the fish up and then all of a sudden it seems like it's raining hundreds of mi- you know not hundreds of miles away but you know hundreds of yards away whatever because these fish have literally just kind of been they've been chucked by nature <laughs> just been hurtled some... towards through space now but is there some sort of a weight limit like i can see frogs that are smaller i can see fish to a certain degree but a shark, like, especially a larger shark, is a pretty weighty 
heavy mass to be thrown, right? So that's a really interesting question. I I don't... Look at that. I don't think there would necessarily be a weight limit. Because think about it, right? Mm-hmm. A thousand fish. Oh, weighs... I'm thinking about it, my friend. A thousand, a thousand fish. I mean, okay. Here's the thing: with a school of fish, mm-hmm. it only has to be strong enough of a pull up to move one fish at a time. That's okay. the that's the lower limit of how strong it has to be. Mm-hmm. Whereas the maximum limit for how strong it must it it could be would be enough to move all the fish at once. So. I would imagine that there is some limit on the strength, the suction strength of the strongest, the strongest storms we've ever had. Hold on one second, actually. Because here's, and here's part two of that question. Because you would think that a lot of small fish would be dispersed in the water somewhat equally, right? So there'd be a balance to it. But if you had lesser sharks and they were at different points within the funnel, it wouldn't, it could, it would be more lopsided, right? Your weight, the weight within the water would not be. Mm, no, well, so I would actually mm, think that mm, the. But this, but this is the biggest, that this is the biggest, uh, the biggest critical error that we're going to see with Sharknado. Like think, like think about, <laughs> think about how big Hurricane Irma was, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. it was like the side, I mean, it was miles wide, right? Yes. So. Think about it, like the weight of a single shark is not going to be enough to move it off its center. It's actually part of another silly thing that people were asking was like, could you, or I saw a thing that was like, could you shoot into the hurricane to make it stop? Mm-hmm. Or something that was on Facebook. I think it was like, I think it was mm-hmm. mostly tongue in cheek, but mm-hmm. still don't do it. Um, so actually what was really interesting with this last one, Hurricane Irma was there was actually some cases or some video even showing it was so strong, the suction pressure was so high that it actually caused the water level to drop. Significant. I mean, this happens all the time with hurricanes. Hmm. That's why they say the the rain, like the water swell after the fact, is actually worse usually. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's picking, it's picking it all up and then letting it fall back down. It, well, also it's literally yeah. causing high pressure. Again, water moves, fluids Ooh. move from high pressure to low pressure. So if you have an area of super high concentrated pressure near this storm, that's literally going to cause water to flow away from the storm. Hmm. So I would actually argue the biggest thing stopping, like the reason that those, the frogs or the, or the fish work is because the, the ratio between the strength of the storm and the time it requires to build to that strength is so low. Mm -hmm. So in other words, like, you can make a storm that's strong enough to pick up fish or, or frogs or whatever, mm-hmm. small things, mm-hmm. in a short enough period of time that the fish or the frogs don't have enough time to hide or get ah, out of there. To move, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, because, like, these storms pick up cars and stuff, right? So oh, yeah. I would think if they, if they could happen quick enough that the shark would be like, what the hell's going on? You know what I mean? Not and, just one shark. Not just one shark, my man. Many any, sharks. Any, shark oh, eye. Many sharks. Many sharks. I would shark think. Eye. I would think. Pod of sharks. I mean, I would think it's possible. I don't know. Honestly. A plethora. So this is this is part of the problem though with the weather, with weather as a system. A quarry is, of sharks. I don't a know. quarry of sharks. It's really complicated. So mm-hmm. this is something that I don't think people really fully grasp 
our our computers are even our best computers can only okay let me start from the very beginning at a certain point in our mathematics as we currently know them you come to you come to things that you literally cannot solve what's called analytically there's two ways to solve a math problem there's analytical and there's uh, analytical and then there's like an experimental solution is is i guess how mm-hmm. we would say the other way an analytical solution is one where or maybe not maybe not experimental analytical and then there is an estimation method to solve something so you can think of it this way an analytical solution to the question of two plus two equals four is possible because we know that the number two plus another number two always gives us the number four okay so that solution is solvable but we can also solve that using estimation methods so let's say we can't get all the way to what two is, right? Mm-hmm. We can take 1.99999 and add that to 1.99999 and get really close to four. Right. Right? Yes. This is the hypotheticals. Yeah. Kind of right. So at a certain point in our math, we can no longer do analytical solutions. There are equations that do not have analytical actual solutions exact solutions and one of those is how sharknado got made well and and one of and, and a lot of those are how fluids flow in three dimensions or two dimensions huh. so you actually come to a point where you can't you can't even solve those equations anymore with our best mathematics and that we currently have them so what we have to do then is we have to actually write computer programs to come up with estimates of those solutions. Dig it. Okay. And that takes a buttload of time because the best we can do with that is literally like, it's a pretty good version of guess and check. Yeah. So we guess an answer. We then solve the, like we guess what the answer will be. We then back solve the equation to try to get what it would give us. And then the difference between those two things we use to make our next guess. So in other words, like you want to get to the answer apple. So you put in the number four and you come up with an orange and you're like, okay, well, we're kind of close. We're round. So now I'm going to put in the number five. And then when you put in five, you get to banana. And now you go, okay, well, I went too far. Now I'm going to put in three and at three, Mm -hmm. you get a peach and you're like, okay, uh, it's between three and four then. Right. Right. So that's the way that our computers do this with math, with numbers, not with vegetables or fruits or whatever the hell stupid analogy I just came up with off the top of my head. Or, but it makes sense. It's, it's, yeah. I can get it. You so get it. it's all guess and check ultimately with our, with our computational methods. So we, so like when you get even, and then I'm talking like a simple, a simple problem, like you have water flowing through a pipe, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe at the end of the, at the end of the pipe, there is a, like a, a sudden, like a nozzle, right? Mm-hmm. That would take a long time to solve mathematically using computers. That would oh, take really? a while. Yeah. Ah. So using, using our, like, even using like the best computers we have, that would probably take at least a couple of minutes to solve. Hmm. If you want to get an exact, exact solution. Hmm. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, I'm by no means a computational mathematics expert, but the general point here is that as you start making these systems bigger and bigger, 
you need to input and control for a lot more variables and different equations. And so the, the totality of that system just becomes so great that we can't possibly predict it. So a lot of our weather models are based on, are based on estimations. Yeah. And that's why, you know, and so that's partly why now these ideas that, well, climate change will definitely lead to worse storms or these types of storms or whatever. We can say generally that that's true, but we cannot, I mean, we can't make a prediction for like the number of hurricanes or where they'll happen or the, the general strength of them. Like, we, you know, we have to be very careful about how we couch our predictive abilities. Because every time we're wrong, some stupid idiot is going to be like, <laughs> you were wrong. You know, like, it's hard. It's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not like we're trying to, you know, compute fruit. Okay. Buddy. Marie, how does, this way, relate, how does this relate by the way, to Yalov? Really quick, really quick. Group of sharks is a gam, a herd. It could be a frenzy, a frenzy of sharks. Where I have heard a school, which duh, because it's fish. Or a shiver. Ooh. I know. Ooh. And if they're being flung through the air, I would, go, I would, I would put my money on frenzy then. I'd computate <laughs> out with frenzy at that point. There you go, Sharknado, Sharknado Seven, or whichever whichever version they're on now. Sharknado Seven, the frenzy. Terrible. You're welcome, Hollywood. The way that all this weather stuff relates to Dyatlov Pass and the mystery of Dyatlov mm -hmm. Pass is that some people believe that the incident itself might have occurred due to the government's control of the weather. Hmm. So, the general background to this story is it's February of 1959. These, um, these hikers, these students, grad students and students, um, there's nine of them. They're very experienced ski hikers, and they're moving to the uh, northern Ural Mountains, or Ural Mountains, I suppose is the way you say it. Um, mm -hmm. And basically, they're doing this to get a certification that list them as master hikers pretty much. So they have done as well as they possibly can up to this point in showing that they can survive out in the wilderness on their own. You know, these are, these are hardy people. Like these are skilled mm -hmm. outdoorsmen and outdoors women. They're, they're like as capable of being out there as they possibly could be. Yes. They're in very good physical shape, extremely good physical shape, extremely mm -hmm. well prepared, you know, again, they've been training for this for years, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to even make a climb like this and a trek like this, you needed to have already passed many certifications. So what occurs is this group of nine hikers makes their way up and everything seems to be going okay. But at the end of it, you know, the trip is going longer than they thought it should. And they never, they just never show up again. So they send investigators out, and it turns out that this group died. And how they died is still unknown to this day. Now, mm. part of what makes this so compelling is the use of the word compelling in the official investigation conclusion. Mm. So the Soviet, the Soviet Union sent investigators out to see what had occurred, and what they found was that, or what they had actually said was that a unknown compelling force had caused the deaths. So they found that uh, six of the people had died from hypothermia. 
and three others showed signs of different kind of trauma. So, for instance, yeah, fractured skull, um, brain damage, but no injury to yeah. the skull itself. The one of them had their tongue and their eyes missing, and just you know, like, and their bodies were strewn about and just thrown around, and it's it's pretty horrible. Yes. Now, we are going to do a full episode on this. I promise you, listeners. But one really oh, yeah. interesting argument is that this was caused by some kind of government, you know, the government either caused an avalanche or they caused a storm or a huge pressure wave to come and cause the cause the hikers to get pushed around or go insane or something. So it's pretty intense. So Marie, what what do you what mm-hmm. do you think, Marie? What what are you thinking? What am I thinking? Well, so one of the other points, too, is where they were found. So they were found in, um, I want to say, slope of a shallow valley. And they were found all outside of their tent. So they had a large tent that they all would set up. Um, it housed all nine of them. They were able to come in. They cooked in there. They had sort of a routine when they would come in um, where they would store all their stuff. And it was very orderly. And one of the biggest, again, one of the biggest mysteries coming out of this is something uh, compelled them out of the tent in the dead of night in sub-zero degree temperatures. Um, Some of them weren't even wearing shoes. Um, And how they exited the tent is even more of a mystery in that they basically slit their way out of the tent on must to get out as quickly as possible so there's these knife they've they've tracked it that there's these knife groove marks that are were made from the inside basically just just shredding the outside or the inside of the tent so they were able to get out quickly so that is again just that one little that one little fact alone that it wasn't something clawing to get in it was them trying to get out is adds to this whole mystery and is it something was it some psychological effect that affected their you know their psyche did it how how could this have occurred if it wasn't uh quote-unquote like a predator or another person or something like that so it is sort of like i don't know what kind of weather would do something like that but there has been some you know some speculation. Well, the other thing that's interesting too is, um, so when I said they had physical trauma, so just to be a little bit more specific here, um, there uh, was major skull damage found on um, one of the hikers, and then two of the other ones seemed to have had major chest fractures. However, there was no obvious way for those to have been caused, and there seemed to be no, there seemed to be no, um, no soft tissue damage. So in other words. Mm-hmm. There, it seemed to be almost an internal, um, you know, like the inside of the body was damaged as if it was in a car crash, but the outside yeah. seemed to be fine. Almost internally ruptured. Like exactly. So Microwaving. Something weird, right? So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, like almost like a cooking from the inside out or something. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so there are a lot of different competing theories here. I think one of the more plausible natural explanations maybe would be an avalanche but they so say that... go ahead um, but 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 chris no um 
But they've mapped out the area, and there is no... There, they would not have been in danger of an avalanche where the snowfall was and where it would have impacted when it came down. Really? And even... Yeah. Absolutely. They've already disproven. They've already disproven hmm, avalanche. We're going to have to see about it. Well, okay, so let's, let's put a pin in avalanche and say, you know what? It could be an avalanche. However... I think they they have already decided like that noise alone wouldn't have drawn them out as quickly, and it was far enough away, and the slope was not extreme enough that it would have caused sort of what you would think the cataclysmic avalanche would be. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. so the other option that people some people think is potentially very very high wind. So, for instance, um, they're in a pass, so potentially. Mm-hmm some kind of wind tunneling effect occurred, which would cause something like a, you know, a push of wind so strong that it could, I don't know, rupture your insides. Like, again, these seem pretty far-fetched, but the general idea when it relates to weather control is that the government, either the Soviet government who was testing out their weapons or the Mm -hmm. American government trying to attack the Soviets or maybe some other weird government, who the hell knows, was, Shadow government was basically using weather control to manipulate these hikers in some way and cause their deaths. Now, this is when we when people think of weather control, like when when scientists say that we can control the weather in some ways. Usually, what that means is we can kind of make it rain if we put a bunch of crap in the air. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, the Chinese government can seed clouds. So, in other words, you basically spray an aerosolized particle powder out into the atmosphere, and that causes rain droplets to condense onto the particles and then therefore cause rain. That is part of the whole chemtrails conspiracy. And <laughs> that's what the government is doing. And, you know, when we get into this, uh, it, it takes a lot of stuff to get into this, right? It takes a lot out of Chris to have to explain it, chemtrails. It really <laughs> does. <laughs> but you the... think at some point he wouldn't want to do it. But all you really need to do, dear listeners, here's a fun fact. You see him, you tweet at him, just tweet chemtrails. Hashtag chemtrails. Don't and do see it. what happens. Don't do, do it. it. Do it. No. Do it now. Just be like, hey, Chris. Hey, Mad Scientist Pod. Hashtag chemtrails. Hashtag chemtrails. So this, so this whole idea of the government controlling the weather, like one idea is that we have something like a giant laser beam that shoots infrared waves or microwaves or something into the upper atmosphere that causes the upper atmosphere to heat locally, which then causes huge storms to happen. Now, mm-hmm. here's the problem with that. If you're shooting, okay, if you're shooting a laser beam to a certain part of the local atmosphere, that laser beam has to come from somewhere and it has to go through something, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's on the center of the earth, or if it's if, rather the center of the earth, if it's on the earth's surface somewhere, then how are they getting it to that single spot without heating up all the other air around the beam? That's question one, okay? If they're shooting it from space, then, okay, where are they getting the energy for their giant death beam when we still buy oil from Saudi Arabia? Yeah, and especially in 1959. I mean, granted, maybe they had some 
the government may have had some technology that was superseding what was consumer-based, but they still are not, I, I think death ray is still, still beyond the pale. Like, listen, point. we, if we had a death ray right now, if we had a, if we had a ray that could control the weather, then there would be no droughts occurring in California and Texas and no extreme hurricane storms that cause billions in economic damage. Like, if we could control the weather, then I would expect at least that we'd see a pattern of it being like, wow, isn't this weird that things are happening in a way that we can't explain? As opposed to things happening in a way that we can absolutely explain. <laughs> like, if you have the ability to change... Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's like saying, if I had an invisibility cloak, all I would do with it is is get to my car and go to work. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, no, if you had that power, you'd do crazy shit with it. You wouldn't do your normal stuff just invisible, right? <laughs> but no, so, Chris, so maybe not a death ray, but what if the government came up with an <clears throat> infrasound? Now, ray. okay, this is mm-hmm. this is a part of this mm-hmm. Dyatlov Pass case that yes. I find to be very, very compelling. Marie, we've talked about this a lot off the air. This will probably be the central theorem to our episode on Dyatlov when we eventually do it. So we're not going to give too much away. We're not going to give too much away. But one thing that we have been toying with is the idea that infrasound can be infrasound or high pressure, localized high pressure, low pressure waves can be formed by things like wind or by sound sound. Now, sound waves are just pressure waves in the air. So in theory, if you had the right conditions, such as a a large flat surface on which wind will hit and then disperse in a weird way with pressure fluctuations, potentially we may be looking at something like a giant echo chamber or maybe even like a giant, almost like a giant wind tunnel where we could have very strange local fluctuations in the barometric yeah. pressure, which could mm-hmm. cause things like the bends or like... Mm-hmm tinnitus in the ears or whatever you know we don't know a whole lot about these physical effects but it's a it's a theory that i i think is pretty interesting and it's one i don't one i haven't seen out there on the internet at all well i mean i think it was it was written up somewhat in the in the novel i can't remember of course i can't remember the oh uh, dead snow Eckler. or yeah 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 so so Eckler. the the idea of infrasound as a causative force for this event has been talked mm-hmm. about a lot what I mean is our but the scientific yeah, yeah like, the scientific principle. A lot of the it. times, infrasound is given out as a again like a hand wavy explanation by people that don't really understand how infrasound or pressure waves or wind movement works. It's what I. It's the excuse I use when I'm late to work. <laughs> Infrasounds kept me back. Infrasound. Inf- that infrasound again. <sighs> so it shut Bart down. So I, I I find it pretty interesting. So uh, whether and maybe. That combined with, again, if they're, I don't, you know, and I'm totally making this up now, but if your ears are blocked from high altitude, right? So you already have some pressure happening in your head and you have this occurrence because you're hiking, right? And if one or two of them may have had that, right? Or something like that may have <laughs> helped cause it. Damn it, Marie. No. I thought we weren't giving away our idea. <laughs> oh, so, well, we can record it. Well, we have to. We have, but there's no science behind this yet. So ba- so there's very little. There's a little, very little thought behind what so I just put out there. So, Marie, 
Dude, I didn't know that was the that was the giveaway. It's not a huge giveaway. I mean, it's a good that's a good idea. I just think so. Basically, yeah. what Maria is stating is just like when you're under the water and you start to have the bends. What if a similar effect could occur in the mountains when there is very high pressures or very high fluctuations in pressures, such as in places where there is a massive amount of wind flow? Yeah. So in other words, could the pressure drop locally get to be so much that you're, you get a terrible migraine or your ears start to feel like they're going to pop or they even do pop? Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. could extreme pain be caused by a local change in barometric pressure up at lower altitudes or higher altitudes, mm -hmm. rather lower pressures? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And what if what if you also had like and again, I am extrapolating all this from flying recently with a head cold. And it was like I can almost wanted to claw my way out of the plane at a certain point. It's painful. So something like that again, to me, could cause, hypothetically, could cause something like the love. Absolutely. I think it's I think it's a really good theory. So Just throw that all together. Throw it all out there. Throwing Just throw it all out there. Throwing it all out there, listeners. All right. So, Marie, where are we falling on death rays for the weather? And again, this is a yes. topic that... I'm pro-death ray. You're pro-death ray. I know I'm also pro-death ray. I know it's a, con it's a controversial stance, uh, but I am pro-hashtag... Pro death ray, hashtag chemtrails. Marie's pro death ray. Very good. Very good. All right. Nice. Well, that is all the time we have this week, dear listeners. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Mad Scientist Roundtable. 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 Yeah. I am your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by Marie Mayhew. Oh, dear listeners. Oh. Hashtag, hashtag chemtrails, people. No! I want to see a trend. You want to see, you want to see, you want to see a, you want to see an actual scientific uh, reaction. Do that. Do that. And then, <laughs> and then Chris will take pictures of like his eyes slowly bulging out of his head. Just me having a full on breakdown. Ah! And frustration. Sounds good. Nice. Mm. I will be back You're next welcome. week. With the second part in our Betty and Barney mm. Hill series, discussing the theories on what actually occurred to the couple. And then we'll be back awesome. in two weeks with another roundtable. And Halloween coming up, people. Ah, Halloween. Get, get spooky. Getting real spooky. All right. Getting thank you again spooky. so much for listening, and we will be back soon. Bye. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. 
I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.